conversations with prominent pastors, teachers, and leaders. This is the Pastor Well Podcast from Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Now your host, Dr. Herschel York. Hello and welcome to the Pastor Well Podcast. This is Herschel York, Dean of the School of Theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm also pastor of the Buck Run Baptist Church in Frankfurt. Pastor Well Podcast is dedicated to helping servants of the Lord Jesus Christ be faithful in ministry. And today this is a very special edition. I'm so excited because this is a very special live recording of Pastor Well in conjunction with the Alumni Academy and the Expositor Summit here at Southern Seminary. And man, these are incredible guests. Uh, welcome to Dr. and Mrs. Al Moeller. Welcome to Pastor Will. Thrilled to be here. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And, and we've got a live audience, and uh, you are at home. We're on the campus of Southern Seminary. And, man, it, it must feel incredible. You've been here since 1993. Yeah. God has done an amazing work on this campus. What does it feel like? walking across this campus, Dr. Moeller, with all of that history. Yeah, I don't know how I can answer that briefly, but I have to. And I'll say that, uh, number one, it is a campus. It's a home. And so I walk these halls, and I know generations of people who walked these halls. And uh, so I, I feel the weight of that history, but the joy is in the students and faculty who are here now. It, it's amazing. And uh, the joy is looking at a room like this, and uh, looking at the portraits around the wall and recognizing that the convictions of those who established this school uh, are living convictions. Uh, the confession of faith that forms the identity of the school is a living confession. We serve a living Christ. And, and on this campus today are thousands of young people training for Christian service and young men training to be pastors of God's word and a faculty with whom I'd want to study if I were young and had that opportunity again. So I'm just excited about it. I mean, I, I get excited. I, I, I just see students and end up in conversations with them. But just, just this afternoon walking in the building, I just, I just am thankful. It's a happy place. Mm -hmm. I, I literally feel every day that I'm part of a miracle. Yeah. God's just done it and a great thing here. And Mrs. Moeller, you're an incredible part of this place as well. I I I want to say you are the greatest hostess I have ever seen. How sweet. Kind, very kind. I, let me ask you a question. How many people a year come in your home? You know, I don't track that. We purposefully well, let's, don't let's track guess. that because we have preview receptions and graduate receptions that are just huge events. So it's hundreds and hundreds of people and thousands just, of people. Yeah. It's thousands. And, yeah. and then we have Christmas small events, receptions. you know, right. So it's, it's a lot, but it's a it's pleasure a every time we get to open the door. Yeah, but the it exciting is. thing is to think that over, you know, almost 27 years now, you know, you're talking about. I don't know, approaching 100,000 people I would, who've been I would coming in and out. That's very exciting. And the thing is, is that you truly open your home. I mean, people are welcome in your home. They wander around. They, they do. They're in rooms where you are not. They I'm do. Like, we trust that they're behaving in those yeah. rooms, but yes. Um, but, but I mean, it's a joy to, it's the seminary's home. And, and so we get to live there and we get to welcome people on those events, for those events. And some are repeat attenders who've been coming for years and we've watched their kids grow up and, you know, they come back to 
to celebrate with us again for another Heritage Week or whatever it is. And it's joy. We love it. Well, uh, at the preview conference last week, um, I had some of my suits hanging in, you know, the reading room there, which actually has my closets in it. And I had a prospective student say, you got clothes in here with the books. I said, no, there are books in there with the clothes. We live here. Uh, I just put books everywhere. And uh, so, yeah, welcome to my suits. There they are. You've been married how long? 36 years plus. All right. I want to hear the story of how how you met. Oh, well, that's complicated because we grew up in the same church during high school years, but we were three grades apart. And so we really didn't know each other. Two grades apart because you well, collect a year. Well, still, if you look at 10, 11, 12, that's three different numbers. Uh, the Jewish right wing. Two years the ahead Jewish of me in right. high school. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But, you know, when you're a, a high school student, the difference between 17 and 15 is a lot. So we weren't together much at all. But I knew who she was. I knew her family. But they were very involved uh, in a Christian high school and other things. I just didn't, didn't see them as much. And uh, then, uh, in God's providence, it happened that I went to Sanford University. Mary's brother, Mark, went to Sanford University. We both had less than optimal roommates. And one day, our paths crossed. We started a conversation, remembered each other, recognized one another. It became a deep friendship. We became roommates. And I saw my roommate's sister's high school picture, senior picture, and I wanted to arrange a date with her. And so I got myself invited over to their house to play Monopoly. I wanted a long game, not a short game. Sure. It had to be a long game. That tells me and you that. had game, man. Hey, I was, uh, <laughs> I was on the hunt. And uh, anyway, in God's providence, years later, we were married. Uh, all right, Mrs. Moeller, I want to know your first impression of Al Moeller. I mean, he was the kid known throughout that church as being the wonder kid. I mean, he knew the answers. He was in leadership roles everywhere. So I just kind of knew who he was. But then we get to Samford, and I'm anticipating he's going to ask me out, but I'm really having to struggle. Like, do I, am I going to date this guy? He's so, so off the charts, smart. What are we going to talk about? I mean, I don't want my brother mad at me. He's his roommate, you know. So, okay, we'll go out on a date. We went to the Little River Band concert on campus. Really? Yes, we did. Yeah, that was the first date. Went to IHOP, I think, afterwards. Took her to IHOP. Big spender. (laughs) It was also the only place probably open. Powder uh, blue Mustang. I mean, he's like, yeah. I drove her up my powder blue Mustang to IHOP, and it was a night. Powder blue? Powder blue. Let's put it this way. I wanted a Mustang. The one that I could afford is powder blue. I got you. Yeah. Good Which was a, is a great color. It's a manly color. So I'm a freshman. He's a we'll senior. We'll just call it blue. Yeah. Okay. You know, he's, he's going to someplace called Southern Seminary. I've got four years of college ahead of me. So, I mean, it was going to be a long-term relationship, which it ended up being. He broke up with me at one point, went back to his dorm room and said to my brother, I don't know why I just did that. But he did. And um, so then we kind of dated other people. It was kind of on again, off again, until we both realized, like, the Lord we're has. supposed to be together. Yeah, we're supposed to be together. Yeah. So. so did he strike you as nerdy or geeky or anything hey, no, like that? We have to work together for years. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let me say this. There are a lot of people his age now. He's just turned 60. He's been talking about it forever. He's finally there. He's 60. It's great and glorious. And. He's got lots of hair, and I'm grateful for that because I think he looks awesome. But 
there's a lot of friends his age that are bald. You know, they have no hair at all. They have the receding thing going on. He had lots of hair in college, so it's, it's only fair dynamite. that he should really? still have hair. Yes. No, seriously. I, Napoleon Dynamite. I, I, I so one of my goals yeah. was to yeah. kind of get the hair down a little bit. It was it was yeah. like up here. Yeah. It was high but hair. But it was the 70s. So, I it mean, was. look at the Brady Bunch. Was There's the, a lot of hair. It was 79. You teased it up back then. No, I didn't. No, tease no, it up. I, mean, I didn't have personally. to. No, I didn't have to. All I yeah. do is wake up in the morning Big and Big glasses, lots of hair. Draw your own conclusions. But, I mean, he was very president of the ministerial. Association, you know. Not that that's a cure for nerdiness. <laughs> how how long from how, how long from uh, first date till you got married? September. I've, in fact, I noted this late. I don't. I'm really good about dates, and I didn't know it was 40 years ago. And September was our first date. So September of 79. Wow. And we got married in July of 83. So really the start of my college career till the six I weeks after. I missed an opportunity for a hot date at IHOP in Could September of this that. year. 40th anniversary. We're going back. Where'd you go on your honeymoon? Naples, Florida, followed by the Keys. Yeah. We didn't have any money. We had a yeah. coupon for Howard Johnson's uh, that I found in the newspaper. Here. She yeah. found it. I said, we can't, we can't afford anything. She found a coupon in the newspaper. So, hey. We yeah. went, we went, we crossed. I mean, we're already in South Florida. We so. crossed Alligator Alley from Fort Lauderdale. Back, that was back when you had to drive through the, the Everglades, the Everglades and Indian reservations uh, in order to get there, which meant it, it was just, it was very interesting. We stopped at uh, a gas station in the middle of the Everglades uh, to get married and it became Did like a, what? to, 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 to get gas. <laughs> <laughs> just been married. Wait, we just what? Been, uh, a revelation. We had a church wedding. Thank you very much. No. <laughs> to get gas wow. at the gas station. After yes. we were married. But the, we got married at the First Baptist Church of Pompano Beach, Florida. But I got so excited as we were leaving the church that I drove around the corner and ran into the floral van. Yeah. I rear-ended the florist truck. Yes. In her, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh... <laughs> I was ready to get out of Dodge. Well, uh, you were a student at Southern already, like I was. I was a graduate. I graduated in uh, before you got married in '83. She graduated from college in in '83. We got married just a few weeks later. And and so you then immediately moved to Louisville. Right, moved into Fuller Hall. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we did. And which uh, I had chosen the apartment of. Because corner. I was the one who was here. So I got a corner room, no took air conditioner. Bi- he took the bigger side of the closet, might I add, because he moved in first. I just put it there temporarily. And <laughs> So the point is, I tried to explain what this apartment was like, but my new wife didn't think I'd fully honestly described the apartment. He failed to let me know that the kitchen was contained between behind closet doors. Like we walk yeah. in and it's like, where there's is a, the kitchen? kitchen? You pull open these louvered doors and there's this tiny little stove and little refrigerator. But she, she again, being a hostess, well, I was pastor of a church in Trimble County, Kentucky. She had all the people over. She had all the pies and stuff, which she'd baked in that little kitchen. Was it a little kitchen? It was really That's kind of a closet with a stove. But it was a furnished apartment. We didn't own anything. We didn't have a single piece of furniture. So we were in Fuller because back then it was a furnished married student's apartment. And we didn't have anything. So, it, it, But there's something sweet about that. Because yeah, that means absolutely. every single thing we have, we were so young, everything we have, we got together. And there's not a stick of furniture in, that, in our house. 
that well your parents nice. did bring up a couple of things including your dad's marlin or sailfish or yeah, but that was even later that was a little later yeah yeah my father won this he, he caught this giant sailfish that held a record for a long time and he had it mounted and it's been when, with us in every when house the stuff arrived from my parents like you know old furniture they were getting rid of this fish was there and I think my dad was surprised my mom had had it crated up and sent off. I think it was a sore spot. Uh, but it's hanging, in the it. it's hanging it on is. the third floor of the president's home right it now. Is. And all of its This sounds like the leg lamp glory. in a Christmas story, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. Right. that's right. Not yeah. a finger. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, you two are an incredible team. Uh, the way that you work together is really quite amazing. You're very much a part of his ministry. Absolutely. I, I can't imagine your ministry without her. I guarantee you I can't. It's very kind. No. But I can't imagine, and look, you and Tanya have been married about the same amount of time. And you look back at it, I don't know who I am. Yeah, that's right. You know, without being married. It's truly one, one flesh yeah. principle. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was 23 when I got married and I'm now 60. You know, I, this is a... And, and for at least three of those years, I was trying to get married to her. So, you know, you look that back, two-thirds of my life, you know, been defined in this way. Fast forward mm -hmm. to uh, 1993, probably mm -hmm. 1992, when he first uh, became a candidate with the search committee. Did you really think he would become the president, or did you think, yeah, this is probably not going to happen this time? I mean, there was no internet in those days, so there wasn't a lot of conjecture going on that I would pick up on. I mean, he was 33. 33, you know, it, very young. I knew I was married to an incredible guy who had just amazing, very unusual gifts and intellect. So I knew he was going somewhere, not just going to be um, in some type of a routine ministry job. And I knew he had great ambition, and I knew how much he loved Southern Seminary. But I also knew somewhat of what a mess it was up here. And, um, you know, we had just been in Atlanta for three years at that point, finally had children after going through infertility while we were here at Southern. And so now we've got a son and a daughter. We're on a cul-de-sac living in a neighborhood in, in Atlanta. So, it, I mean, it, the whole thing was very confusing to me at first. Like, we would leave already. We would move. You're 33. Um, and quickly it became apparent he was in the final three and we were going down for an interview. So, I didn't expect to be elected then um, because I was only 33. Right. But they had asked for and some And you weren't things. up against lightweights, the other candidates. No, and dear no, friends, not at all. very dear friends. Yeah. I mean, the three of us were, were and are much know, older. Uh, very dear friends. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, but they had asked for three things as a part of the search process. And one of them was... Uh, commentary on the confession of faith, the abstract principles. And the other was a statement of vision, and the third was a plan for affecting that vision. So I thought they were serious when they asked for those things. So I responded seriously. And they got three bound volumes. Bound volumes. Yeah. From Kinko's. You bound yes. your answers. I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you have a copy for each member of the committee? I did. I sent Blew them to away. them. And, uh, and, and the, the thing is, is that in God's providence, I had been in, I had had experiences, so I actually did know how to bring about the change. I knew the, I knew the mechanisms of the seminary. I knew its charter and bylaws. I know how its faculty 
operated. I knew, and I knew where the problems were because they underestimated the problems. They consistently underestimated the problems. And you can understand that. They were just coming in from time to time and they, they dealt with problems that presented themselves. They didn't understand the general, the, the problem and the warp and woof of the institution at, at the era. And so uh, I tried to lay all that out. I actually thought I was probably laying it out for someone else to use as a plan. Yeah. God uh, gave you favor in their eyes. Yeah. Did. So when you moved here to Louisville, yeah. uh, did you move into the the current president's? That's we did. that's what it is. Yeah. yeah okay. Yep. And uh, how were you received by the seminary? Community. Well, I know you know in asking this, the answer to the question, yeah. it was not warm. I mean, the, the press conference, I mean, they couldn't even elect me. I was just in Atlanta, uh, flying through Atlanta and pointed out to an intern who was with me. That was where I was elected president of Southern Seminary. I was elected president of Southern Seminary at a Marriott at the Atlanta airport. And the reason was there was so much controversy, so much pressure, and that continued for years. You know, there was there was hardly a day we didn't have a news helicopter over the campus. We didn't have, yeah. you know, hostile press coverage. And uh, at the original press conference, it was so hostile, um, they basically had to call it off. You know, I mean, wow. it, it, it's hard, I think, for students or faculty here today to imagine what it was like. It's like yeah. Berkeley in the 1960s. It was, it, it was right after that that I called you. Mm -hmm. right. First time you and I ever That's spoke. Right. A friend of mine was a trustee, yeah. and he said, I remember his first words about you, he's a dandy. <laughs> You're going to love him. And I called you. And that said, was David Miller, that the only David trustee Miller. who would talk that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. But you knew what he meant. Yeah. And I called and said, there's one pastor in Kentucky who's glad yeah. you're coming. That's right. I might have been the only one, uh, but I, I saw it as... You weren't the only one, but you could have all met in a Volkswagen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a small group. Yeah. You know, as Southern goes, so goes really churches in Kentucky, because right. the, the pastors in, these, in mm -hmm. the state come largely from the seminary. So you weren't welcome at first. You had a definite plan. You executed the plan. Two years in, it was really rough, wasn't it? Yeah, it started out rough, and it got a lot rougher because um, the uh, the existing faculty and the student body, and the student body was as liberal as the faculty that basically had recruited them, you know, so to speak. And uh, they weren't giving up. If I get to write a memoir, I'm going to say, you know, that, that I now recognize what I'm not sure I recognized at the time, which was that they, they weren't giving up. So they, they still thought that uh, a conservative reformation of the institution, especially on the issues of the inerrancy of Scripture and uh, complementarianism, and, and you go down the list, they, it was going to be impossible with that faculty here. Yeah. But... And they didn't believe that anyone would go to the extent of actually removing faculty because the, the whole academic world is staked against that possibility. Uh, but we did, and, but it took two years to bring that to a culmination. The first forced exit came exactly a year after I took office. It took that long to put the mechanisms in place. 
And that blew everything sky high. And then a few months later, it blew up even in a more thermonuclear thing over the closing. I announced the closing of a school. And, you know, so I had 70 days of students sitting in protest in the hall. And Right. Mrs. Muller, how did it feel hearing your husband attacked the way he was? What's that feel like to a, a faithful wife who loves her husband? Well, as you can imagine, it was it was brutal. It was very difficult to watch. He had a way to respond. Like you've, people have seen those student forums where he got to at least stand up and speak for himself and say the truth, state the truth. And I got to go to those and just sit on my hands. I had nothing to say. I had a lot of things going on in my head of what I would like to say to those disrespectful students for one thing. But in God's providence, I had two very small children at that point, and my my passion was to be a stay-at-home mom, and if that had been delayed by God's providence, those kids would have been older if we had not had the infertility issues. So, I mean, I've got a one-year-old and a four-year-old running around at the beginning, and that, I mean, my, mm. my hands are full, and I'm, I'm glad that I don't want anyone else taking that job from me, but... That helped me, I think, to be able to focus. When he came home, I wanted to be supportive. I wanted to know what was going on, but I wasn't demanding that he retell every conversation he'd had that day. I could always tell when he came in, the look on his face would be, you know, there's something else has happened. We'll, we'll get through dinner. You know, we're trying to make things as normal as we can with little kids, and then we'll get to what's, what's did, going on. How did this affect your marriage? Did it drive you closer together? Did it make you sort of have your need your own space to sort of suffer through it separately i think honestly it depended on the minute but Uh in general it bonded us together uh like nothing else could i mean there were moments when i'll I'll tell you as a husband bearing that it's just very hard to come home and talk about some things right uh the last thing i wanted to do when i came home was to talk about some things on the other hand she had every right to know you know what what I was having to deal with, and not, not personnel details, but in the general terms. And, uh, and I think both of us found sanity, not only in each other, but in these precious little babies. I mean, there were, there were three in one when we moved here, and four in one, and, one. and so she's good with math. <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, it was just, so that was just really sweet. I mean, they don't care about all this. You know, as Mary often says, there was a candlelight vigil out in front of our house, a protest out in front of our house. And, you know, the kids look out there, they see candles. Hey, you know, it's a party. (laughs) Uh, It's a different thing entirely. Originally, uh, enrollment declined? Oh, precipitously. Yeah. Yeah. Now, fortunately, I had written in the plan from the beginning, like, this is what's going to happen. It declined until what year? Do you remember? 98 was the first increase that was marked. And who, who came on the faculty in 97 that would cause no, that to happen? What, what well, could cause let's that? Let's see. I that don't guy know. From, from Ashland Avenue. From Lexington, <laughs> Kentucky. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, and, and you and several others left and joined us at just the right time. True. And And I, uh, I knew enough about higher education to know it it takes two years just to kind of let the air clear a bit and then after that to be able to build but then it started to rebound in in uh, 98 and then by 2002 and three we were exceeding historic enrollments and then by the end of that decade 
uh, almost every year was the largest enrollment the institution had ever had. So that was fun. Yeah, it is. It's it's an incredible story of the grace of God. Your leadership has been amazing. Mrs. Muller, your leadership in establishing the Seminary Wives Institute has been fantastic. I think that's been one of the greatest uh, aspects of this institution. Tell us about your vision for that and how that came about. Well, thank you. It was not something I aspired to. I was a pre-med major when I met him. I thought, you know, I was going to med school until I met him, knew that I didn't want to do that and leave children at home. So, so here I am. I have no experience with writing educational curriculum. And when we first got here, you know, again, we're at war. I've got little kids and I've got a bunch of student wives on this campus who don't want to even be called student wives. That was offensive to them. They're women. Don't just identify them as being married to this man and all this kind of stuff. But as the tide began to turn and we began to add new faculty like you guys and, and student body changed, then there just became a demand of, of women wanting pr preparation. And it became clear that this was a great time for that to happen. Sister schools were had, had programs that you know had their own flavor to them and I began to look around and realize you know, I've got faculty wives. I've got Tanya York, who, whose passion is to teach on marriage. I've got, you know, I start naming off all these others, but she's sitting right here, uh, who have a different passion for different areas. And then I've got guys like you and Al that can walk into a classroom and teach a Baptist beliefs course with very little, I mean, it's a certificate program. You can just walk in there and do it in your sleep. But it was, it was just such an amazing thing for, for that to come together. So we started by charging $10 for a six-week class. We made it it wasn't just some kind of a put together thing though. It's a certificate program always has been you walk with the boys college graduates if you finish it and You know as as time went by it I mean it became a recruiting draw for Southern that there is a program here It's a serious program. We don't just get in a room and right. come up with a topic. We've got the program I mean the class schedules out there till 2022 on the web page so the Lord's used it in amazing ways. He's grown all of us through it as those who teach in it. And we've gotten to know student wives and to fling them out all over the world with their husbands. And it's been It's very privilege. sweet. And uh, yet, just remember that given... So when I was elected president in 93, um, the issue of women serving as pastors was a cardinal theme of this institution right, cardinal right. theme and, and so that was just that was one of the first things they hit you with and uh, and so i can remember when mary announced the seminary wives institute students some of the older students still here complained that it wasn't the student the seminary spouses you know institute the Lord just used it, and I, I just want to honor Mary with the vision. And, and look, as you know, she runs that program. I mean, yeah. my goodness, she runs that program. But it's not a one-person program. I no. could not do it without the stellar no, support. No, it's from the vision of one person. Well, not only that, she, she, uh, she, she works out seating charts. Hey. Like for <clears throat> the, nothing is by accident. Not only that, I want to brag on you a minute. She remembers... Every person in that program, even years later, she can tell you how many kids they have, the name of their kids. No, <laughs> oh, I know. I mean, it, give me way it too much credit. Yeah. Me. Tanya and I. That's why talk I make sure she stands next to me at events, so I sound. Oh, smart. is that why I'm there? That's one reason. That's why. That's why you're speaking into my good ear. Let oh. me know. This is somebody and somebody, and unless I get the wires crossed, I say, hey. She's, it's just really, it's wonderful. Yeah. That's great. And so my job. you're an author. 
your recent book, Growing in Gratitude. Tell us about it. So I didn't start out to write a book. I was speaking at the Gospel Coalition on a topic that had the Lord had just laid in my heart. I was just beginning beginning to be so frustrated with the entitlement mentality that was prevailing and such a lack of gratitude. So I'm speaking on it. At the end of it, an editor comes up from a publishing company, tells me she thinks there's a book there. I kind of laugh in her face because I'm not an author. I don't Next thing you know, I'm signing a contract and writing a chapter a month, and and it comes out. And I mean, the Lord's used it. I just heard last week I've sold they've sold 10,000 copies now. Wow! And it's in a Spanish edition. And um, I'm hearing from people with specific comments, not just kind of like a thanks for your book, but but it, the Lord has used it to help women, and I'm very grateful. So she needs to write more. Thank you. See, we'll see. My yeah, agent yeah. over here thinks I need to write more. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have one that maybe you're thinking about? Not at the moment, but I'm open to it. Being an empty nester makes for, you know, more opportunities for such things. Dr. Muller, uh, I don't know mm-hmm. the answer to this. Do you know how many books you've written? Oh, um, contributed to over 100 and authored, I think it's now 11 or 12. But, you know, i got two manuscripts that are in sequence, so... It, yeah, it, it happens. Do you have a favorite of those? It's actually written? more than that now. But anyway, uh, so yeah, my favorite one's the one I just did almost every time. Really? So the Apostles' Creed is really, but I, I guess the, I know the first book I wrote was Culture Shift. And it's amazing how many people come up to me and tell me they've recently read the book and it was very helpful to them. And so I, I just, I realize books are kind of like missionaries you send out into the world. <laughs> And they do work you don't see. Uh, the Conviction to Lead uh, was a, a book, I, but I, all of them. I mean, I wanted to write on the three tripods of historic Christian teaching, uh, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and the Apostles' Creed. And the Lord's allowed me to do all three of those books. And, um, and then the s- biblical commentaries, like the second volume of Acts that came out just a few weeks ago. So I, I love doing it all. I have a book in, uh, entitled "The Gathering Storm" coming out in June. Really, yeah, what an and then interesting a book, title. Yeah, I borrowed that one honestly. <laughs> I tell the story of why Winston Churchill used that title you know, in the opening, or the years leading up to the Second World War, uh, and then a book on the parables of Jesus will come out shortly after that. Uh, you're a Churchill fan. Fan, uh, yeah. Well, let's put it this way: Churchill's been an inspiration to me. Uh, ever since I was a uh, 13-year-old boy. Yeah. What, what principles of leadership did you learn from Winston Churchill? Oh, I think, uh, you know, as a 13-year-old, I was just amazed that he basically was the guy who defeated Hitler, you know, stared down Hitler, refused to, to surrender. And he was all that stood in many ways between the surrender of Britain and, and uh, Hitler in the Third Reich. And, and I was just fascinated with such a person who could ride astride history and, you know, change history. But then I, I came to, to know more about him. He was a convictional leader. I mean, he was driven by convictions. There was, a, he, there was a worldview, a picture of reality that he had, an understanding of good and evil, an understanding of liberty and human dignity. He was, 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 was going to fight to the death for that. And, uh, and then, I mean, just his use of the language. I mean, you know, there's John F. Kennedy who said, uh, rightly of Churchill, you know, he marshaled the English language and sent it to war. And uh, I learned a lot. I've, I've, I've just learned a lot about how Churchill uses words, used words. 
He was able yeah. to look uh, to the horizon of the future and yeah. see what was coming. What do you see coming yeah. that concerns you for the church? Yeah, the, the title, The Gathering Storm, is the first volume of his multi-volume history of World War II. And he wrote it because those were what were described as his wilderness years. He was in the political wilderness because he told the truth. He saw the rearmament of Germany. He saw the expansionist aims. He saw the moral nature of the Third Reich and of Adolf Hitler. And he tried to warn uh, England's aristocratic leadership class, and they wouldn't hear of it. Even though he was one of them, they wouldn't hear of it. Uh, they'd been through the First World War, and they couldn't imagine another war. They couldn't imagine they would have no choice about another war. And uh, and, and Churchill saw that, and so he, he warned, this is, this is what was happening. You know, you, you, you can see, you know, when someone builds a factory here and begins to, uh, you know, marshal oil resources there, and they, they, they're building all these aircraft for supposedly civilian purposes, but they look a lot like fighters. Uh, and so the, the reality is that Britain's leadership class was horribly embarrassed when they had to admit that it had been there all along and they wouldn't see it. So I'm using that title to talk about the shape of a culture, which is a challenge to us, and a lot of Christians don't want to see it. They, they want to think that we're just an election away from, you know, turning the tide, or we're just, you know, we're really not being displaced in this culture. We're, 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 really, we're really safe, and, and we're not safe. I don't know how long we can have a school like this. I don't mean that as scare language, but... Uh, this this school began in a very different world, and really, you know, even this campus was built in a very different world. I'm going to fight for it for as long as possible, but uh, in the gathering, I want churches to understand. Look, we're we're used to we're used to being considered by a culture the good guys. Well, we're now going to be considered the bad guys. Yeah, that's right. You know, uh, it's going to take that's more right. Christian conviction to be faithful when you're considered the bad guys than when you're considered the good guys. That's correct. You, I know, are concerned for the future for a lot of reasons. One is you're now grandparents. Right. The future and, is now named Benjamin and Henry. Yeah. Talk about them, Mrs. Moeller. Tell us about your grandson. You know, people tell you how great it's going to be to be grandparents, you guys among them. But until you actually hold that baby, you just really don't get it. But, but we get it. It is inexplicable. It is. And to see our daughter as a mother is just fabulous. And we have this wonderful son-in-law and together they're raising these children and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we get to just love them. We don't have any of the responsibility. We get to just be there and and everything they do is adorable. And they, their little faces light up when they see us on the, on FaceTime. I mean, all we got to do is be yeah. Grammy, Grammy and Papa and they love us. It's, uh, I think his face lights up even more when he sees them. Oh my goodness. Uh, I happen to be present uh, recently at uh, an event, it was a preview, preview day, the day before your 60th birthday, and yeah. you were surprised by their entrance into this very room. I, Mary set it up, the most successful surprise in birthday history in my it, experience. I've never seen you run that fast. <laughs> yeah. Well, the worst part of it was it completely caught me off guard, and in sentimental joy, I just cried seeing them. So they... Uh, they had to go back here and eat. We came, had to come back into the preview yeah, dinner. Right. But I decided, okay, before they leave and I had to go do the q and I'm going to at least go give them a hug. So I went in and Benjamin, you know, age three and a half, he turns to me and goes, Papa, 
why are you sad when we came to see you? <laughs> and I said, Benjamin, I wasn't sad. I was happy. I said, you know, sometimes you're so happy you cried. He looks at me. No, sir. <laughs> he, he, no. he sees Grammy yeah. cry a lot every time he leaves. Yeah. And he'll say, don't yeah. cry, Grammy. I make you happy. Yes, don't right. cry, Grammy. Uh, I'm grateful that your heart is so big that you don't just love your grandchildren. You love mine. Absolutely. Yes. And uh, I have a grandson, Henry, who is geeked out over Southern Seminary <laughs> and says Bless his heart. He, he's going to be the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. I don't know if you feel threatened by that, but that, no, I'm, I'm thinking that we could pull this off for, you know, a century <laughs> of service here. So uh, recently you sent him a mm -hmm. Southern Seminary tie. Yeah. It thrilled him no end. Tell, tell us about the thank you note you got from Henry. Oh, know. it was just magnificent. It's one of those things where you just keep for the rest of your life. So he wrote this wonderful thank you note. And he told me he did want to become president of Southern Seminary. And then he drew his own seminary seal on the envelope and on the letter, yeah, which is just fantastic. Yeah. And, and I think he said, hashtag Southern for life. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I know. I, it, was, it was just fantastic. Yeah. Love Henry. There's just nothing like grandparent stories is true. Uh, true and it's because of them that we have such a, a stake in the future right uh, and what we do here at southern seminary matters tremendously mm -hmm. and uh, i'm so grateful for the model that you set yeah. as sweet. a married couple uh, modeling the life of uh, a, mm -hmm. a christian ministry couple and you show that to uh, all of our students. I'm grateful for the way you have led this institution. Honored to have been a part of it. And uh, man, I, I just wanna say thank you. I wonder uh, if uh, you have one bit of wisdom that you'd like to give our, lis our listeners, uh, one bit of advice about faithfulness uh, for the future. Uh, Mrs. Moeller, you know, if I were speaking to ministry wives, as I often do, I just stress to them what an important role we have. And sometimes they don't they don't get that because they're not the upfront person. It's not that they want to be, but they just feel like what I do doesn't matter. And and we've seen it over and over and over again, how a, a ministry wife who is behind that husband, who is cheering him on, who is praying for him, who knows his heart, who knows that he's not trying to just get to the next job, but he just wants to see lost people come to Christ. Um, that woman is going to be used by the Lord next to that man to do amazing things for the gospel. And on the same token, a woman who is, I don't know, high maintenance and is worried that he's getting all the attention and she's being neglected and sometimes they truly are neglected, but sometimes it's a matter of her imagination. Those, those same wives can be the ones that just start to tear him down. And, and I've been in the room when a husband's been considered for, you know, someone throws his name out and somebody says, no, no, that guy's wife, she's, she's high maintenance, she's not on board. And so we, we hold a pivotal role, um, the way that we can model for others and, and, you know, the whole fishbowl mentality can be turned on its head and we can make that a positive thing that we get to, we get to live out our calling as wives married to these men who are called to ministry and what a privilege that is. So we need to just enjoy it. And it's not going to be a cakewalk, but you know what? We're called to do it, and we're going to do it till Jesus comes and give him all the glory. Will you do it with incredible grace? Uh, Dr. Muller? So I don't get to tell this story very often, but uh, 
one of the men who paved the way for all this to be able to happen was uh, a two-time graduate of this institution and the titanic pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, uh, Dr. W.A. Criswell. And uh, so one of my goals as president was to bring Dr. Criswell here. And uh, he was one of the great personalities of the 20th century. Just yeah, absolutely. Beyond most exaggeration. And uh, he was like a Victorian out of time. Um, but of course, one of the most well-known preachers in the English language of the 20th century. And so, but I had him here and I had to have him here while he was still able to preach. But I also wanted him here. Well, I had to bring him before I had things ready. So there were antagonistic students and there were even antagonistic students in the choir. And there had been a protest like two days before. Right. They were not pleased that W.A. Criswell was coming to preach in chapel, this great titanic conservative preacher. And uh, Dr. Criswell was just crazy like it was, he would do just about anything out of courage. And he was smart as a fox. So the night before at dinner, he said, young man, lad, what do you need me to do in that pulpit tomorrow morning? I said, Dr. Criswell, just preach the word. He says, yes, but what is that controversy that was going on earlier this week? And I said, well, it was over women being pastors and all the rest. And he just looked at me and he said, gotcha. <laughs> the next morning, he's in chapel and the choir's up there and the choir is not, they're even, they're just so rude. They were just looking. Right. So Dr. Criswell went up to the pulpit and he said, Young preachers, open your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 3. The title of my message, Timothy, get you a wife. And uh, <laughs> it, was, it was just one of those glorious moments. He did this great exposition of 1 Timothy 3. Yeah. But he, he just said, look, he said, that text says a man is to be the husband of one wife. No more and no less. And you will need that wife the Lord gives you in ministry for the rest of your life. And so I just want to testify that I'd already gotten me a wife, but he was absolutely right. And uh, so I, I just look back to say, I, I don't know who I am without Mary. So I, I will say to preachers, young men training for ministry, just understand you are not up to this alone. Uh, God said it's not good for man to be alone. I could not have done this alone. Couldn't find joy in it alone. Would never have had children and grandchildren alone. Would never have known what I know that I've learned from Mary during all these years alone. I would be skinny and hungry and probably dead because without her, I'd never go to the doctor. I would never take a pill. I would never, you know, so anyway, and, and it's, it's just, I don't, I don't know who I am. I don't want to know who I am. Yeah, you know, otherwise, uh, people have an idealized version of you just because of who you are. Your schedule is stunning. Uh, you're the only guy that I know who makes me feel like my schedule is light. I don't know how you do it. I, I want to talk to you real quickly about the briefing. Yeah. I mean, man, that's I want to be real careful. You have to feed yeah. constantly. I want to be real careful not to ever imply that others should do what I do. 
uh, there's no virtue. Well, they, no, I just in, don't think anyone else could. Well, I just, I just, um, I just, I have students who will sometimes say, you know, how much sleep do you get? Is this true or whatever? And by the way, due to Mary largely, I get more sleep than I used to, which may be why I'm still here. Uh, but uh, the reality is that the Lord, like in a time of war, you don't get to set your schedule. And I feel like we're kind of in that. We're in a, both opportunity and peril. Uh, the church has an opportunity. I don't. I just so I'm just trying to be a good steward of the opportunity. So I did radio. The, the, uh, the network came to me and uh, offered me the opportunity to do live national radio every day. I did that, as you know, for almost a decade. And then the podcasting revolution came along, and I was way on the early end of that, uh, so much so that people thought it was insane to give up, you know, an hour of drive time radio every right. day nationwide for a podcast. But I was being slaughtered by the 5 o'clock hour because live radio means you got to be behind that microphone ready to go. At that and time, as right. you discovered tonight, sometimes that just doesn't happen, and so and and I mean, in a job like this, there are just too many volatile things. There are too many, there are too many urgent things that can just you know you. It, it was just very difficult. And when I would travel, um, I'd have to have a portable studio. That and this was back in the early digital age when that just that was very iffy. It was just very a lot of stress, and uh, the, so the podcasting revolution came along. And uh, so I just transferred what I did on radio, the first part of it in particular, uh, to the podcast, and the Lord just blessed it, far beyond anything I would imagine. It is like an elephant standing on my head. Yeah, I, I can't. I mean, I have to do it Wherever five days a week. I mean, Wherever you are. yesterday was an, um, it was, there was about an hour and a half of terror trying to figure out how I was going to get it done because we had to get to the airport and I had to catch a flight. I mean, I had to close the computer. It had to be done, and we weren't going to arrive here till 1 o'clock in the morning, which is just too close. It has to be done by 3 o'clock in the morning to be posted. And so it was, it was and, and look, Mary has just put up with this. Put up with it, true. But, I mean, it's it's yeah. people People are so kind everywhere uh, we go to talk about what, yeah. a, what a difference it makes. I've, I've had legislators tell me they listen to it So every that's day. phenomenal on the one side. On the other side, there are well-meaning people who literally think interns write it for him and he just reads it. Like, they have no idea the work that he puts into this. That's It's just all, it's on his mind all and day long until he doesn't write anything. He's, he's, re he's, he's composing it as he's recording. It's unbelievable. I mean... I don't know anybody else on the planet I, I that can do this. I don't know how Mary doesn't go insane uh, when, I mean, for instance, in a hotel room or uh, or somewhere she's listening to me do it. I have restarted the program 22 times. That's not what kills me. What kills me, and you might hear sometime on the news that somebody has slugged him in an airport, is the ripping of the newspapers because there are five day at least. And so he gets those, and I mean, he, that part he would be doing anyway because he wants to know what's happening. I'd be happening. reading them anyway, yeah. But it's this, and it, uh, if somebody rips a piece of paper once, you're like, oh, someone's ripping paper. This goes on and on and on and on. <laughs> and we're on, an, and people are trying to sleep on a bus in, you know, London or wherever we were, and people are, just, somebody's just going to slug him one day and say, that's it, can't do it. But. <laughs> He, he gets it done every single day. He's off for July when we get to go to our lake house and he gets to fish and there's no briefing and a couple of weeks at Christmas time. But other than that, it is, it is every day. It's incredible. Does, does, it, does it ever irritate you that he's got to do it? I mean, it interferes with your life? Well, if I'm honest, sure. Sure, you know, yeah. But it's just... It's 
part of the deal. It, it's it's serving such a purpose, and mm. I realize you know that this is it's making an impact, and and there are so many people out there that are depending on this. That who am I to complain about that? I mean, it's just I, I learned early on, Herschel, that this guy's just very very unusual. He needs a lot of time to think and to study and to read and to process. This is not. I, I was never going to be the kind of wife that could sit there on the couch and go well. I haven't had my, you know, where am I in the priority line here? That um, doesn't work that way. So the, this is, again, the, the story of the high-maintenance wives that are sitting around trying to count where they fit in here. Like, you've just got to figure some of these things out and realize that every ministry position is different, but this one is is, is very unique. This guy has, has a giftedness from the Lord that I don't know anybody else on the planet that has. Yeah, and so I get to be married to him, and um, sure, there's sometimes it's inconvenient for scheduling and all that but uh well she's she's being sweeter than than talking about it than she than she might. is in person no, no. than she might <laughs> no but i mean one of the ways she shows her love for me is by cooking for me and it's not just this it's the entire job yeah is an enormous conspiracy to keep me from getting without the briefing you do have a very full-time job yes more yeah more the, than the briefing yeah. would be a full-time right. job for absolutely most right yep no? how many how many newspapers magazines do you read in order to gather material for that like what's your i get two copies in print of the new york times the wall street journal usa today the local paper and then wherever i am whatever local paper is there and, and I, I would do more if I could get them. And then, yeah, I, I have a I, do, I use an old journalistic technique of content analysis, and I tear that. So that I'm not just ripping. I don't rip out articles. I'm ripping pages and that folding are folded, them a meticulous They are folded way. a certain way so that they're useful to me. And I use Marked a red with a certain pen. <clears throat> I use a red flare pen to mark exactly what I want. And I you know I can draw a line from this quote to that quote. That's what I use when I'm when I'm doing it. And uh, so I do that, but the, the internet's an entirely different world uh, because I use uh, certain uh, sites on the internet, mostly mostly major media sites. You know, the Washington Post. I can't get the Washington Post in print; it's not available here. But I look at it, you know, every day. And then yeah. in terms of magazines, it is insane. Uh, but there's so much thought. So it's a different kind of journalism. So it, it, I just say printed materials, um, a foot of printed materials a week. Other than newspapers, of of magazines and things, but and I remembers reading, everything. I'm reads. not reading every single word. I'm looking at. So that's part of what Mary hates with the. So if like on in the airport yesterday, I had probably ten major magazines, thought magazines, and so I don't. I can't carry those in to the studio. So you know, I'm pulling out the pages I want. I'm marking them the way I want. And uh, yeah, there was so, one time we were in line in Southwest, so he was way at the head of the line and way at the back of the line, and this guy is behind me and one guy behind in, in front of me, and they're talking over me about that guy with the what's with the guy with the newspaper? <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> hilarious. Yeah, and and I mean, I mean, people do look at me on newspaper. I, I largely because my wife's concerned. I don't rip newspaper do on airliners. Uh, I rip them in a concourse, but I take a moment and people look, what in the world are you doing? Uh, and which led to some good conversations. Did you ever yeah. think about like Evernote or some kind of electronic? No, nothing like that works. No, it's got to be in print. The decline of print 
the disappearance of print will be a catastrophe. It's not the same thing. For one thing, I won't go the whole thing here, a print newspaper is a completely different piece of information than the same article online. There's editorial decision-making on where the article is placed. Is it above the fold? Is it, I mean, what page is it on? Is it above the fold, under the fold, right column, left column, three columns, four columns, one column? That's all editorial. What you see on the, the web is driven by algorithms. It's driven by viewers. So a cute cat is going to have four columns and, you know, uh, a major, you know, historic development is going to have one column. So the print, the print is very important. The other thing is, I mean, I think just like the Apostle Paul, I don't want to overly spiritualize this, but there's something about print with which we can have. A, bring me the parchments. Yeah, a, a, bring, bring we have a relationship of sorts that you can't have with something digital, and that's why. Paper again, planners, this is ladies. Another thing. Yes. Yeah, but I, that's why I I think there's a different experience when you open a Bible. I agree. Than when you boot one up. No kid, no doubt. I mean, I have my dad's Bible by my chair with his underlining and notes in it. I've got mine That's right by my very desk. different than something online, yeah. Tanya and I got kicked out of the Cambridge bookstore once for just smelling the Bible. You know, it's like, <laughs> right. What's up, please? That's right, that's right, that's right. You know, I mean, there's just something about Peter it. Peter does not like that. Right. No. Yeah. The, 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 the feel of it. Yeah. Uh, you know where it is on the page once you yes. get used to that Bible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And if you're preaching, it has to have a certain flop quality. That's right. Uh, it needs to hang right there, open to that page. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm with you on that. All right. Uh, I always like to end with what I call twinkling of an eye around, just a bunch of random quick questions. All right. Uh, so, I think the twinkling of an eye actually be faster than that. Yeah, I agree. But. <laughs> The real one. That's all right. I'm with you. I'll play the game. It's cliche. The kind of fish you fish for. The kind that bite the bait. (laughs) (laughs) He's not eating them. Yeah. I I will tell you that I just, I I love to catch bass, but I. Small mouth? No, large mouth. Large mouth. Yeah. I was mistrained for bass because I, I learned to fish for bass in Florida with my grandfather, all warm, shallow lakes. Coming to Kentucky, the bass are just looking at me like, hey, you know how to catch Florida bass. We're down here way deep. Um, But I have fun. I catch bass. But I've learned I'm just happy with anything that bites the bait. I'll pull it out. And What size motor do you have on your boat? 90. 90 horsepower. Yeah. Do you you ever pull it? Do you ski? I did. I don't. I won't. Katie <laughs> liked to wakeboard and stuff. But yeah. That's been a while. And we had a ski boat for a while. We just had the fishing boat now. Yeah. Uh, Mrs. Yeah. Muller, do you fish with him? You know, I go out with him a couple times a year. It's just not my thing. I'm a lefty. I do everything backwards. And But she, she's quit I'll, fishing I mean, with him go. two or three times. I, if it's I put beautiful the bait out on, there. If I put the bait on. I want nothing to do with any of that. And get the fish off. Yeah, the poor fish is just hanging there, and he's taking pictures, and I'm like, put the little guy back in. Yeah. So. You, do you ever eat them? Never. Never. Mm-hmm. Never. Never. No, no, no. 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 He doesn't like the smell of fish in the I'm house. I'm doing this for fun. No. I like to eat fish, but I don't like to smell fish cooked. Right. Yeah, and besides that, uh, I, I mean, this is more than you probably wanted to know. I like eating saltwater fish better than freshwater fish. So that's all right. I'm, I'll, I'll throw them back, let somebody else eat them, including another fish. Little sore mouths. That's right. Favorite vacation spot? 
hard. I mean, we love going to the lake house. Yeah, that, that, we don't have to pack or that, anything. That, we just show up that's there. That's in a lot of ways our sanity. It we is. can we can get there, and that's it's home, but it's away. Uh, it's a lot closer than Hawaii, by the way. We'd be there in two hours, and we're we're good. Yeah, but it has no volcanoes. No volcanoes. We, beautiful sunsets on the Kentucky oh. Lake, Mister Kentucky. Yes. Yeah. Uh, if you could go anywhere in the world right now, where would you go? London. We just got back from there, and that's where he'd go again. It's yes. incredible. I'd it? go to London every week if I could. Best bookstore you've ever been to? Oh, come on. Uh, you mean of any kind? Of any kind. Your, it's your choice. Oh, if I could go in one bookstore, it'd probably be Basil Black, oh, Blackwell's in Oxford. What's the largest? It's lost a lot of its ambience, but it still has books. What's, what's the largest bookstore you've been in? Probably foils in London. For years, I tried to get you to go to Brazil. You finally went last year. Mm -hmm. uh, your impression of Brazil? One of the darkest places I've been in one sense. Mm -hmm. And one of the most encouraging, the power of the gospel there. Uh, I spoke at the Fiel conference. And just to see, out, out of this place that, I mean, because Brazil isn't more sinful than other places. It's just less camouflaged. Right. You know, you go to Rio, they're not holding anything back for no. public view. Or Carnival. Yeah. I mean, it's just all out there. It's just the human heart. But um, just to see the power of the gospel. I mean, and, and, and that's the thing. The gospel Christianity is growing there unbelievably. Amazing. And so it's like the book of Acts. Uh, so that was incredibly encouraging. Uh, Mrs. Moeller. I just want to say thank you. Uh, you are an encouragement to all of us, but to see the way you encourage and bless him, the partnership that the two of you have for the gospel is just a beautiful thing to see. Thank you, Dr. Uh, York. You and Mrs. York have been the encouragers to us since the day you got here, and we cannot thank you enough for how you always have a word right at the right time, and it's heartfelt. We love you guys. We wouldn't want to do this without you. Well, so, so can I hijack this for a minute? Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing that Mary and I would want to say, and we didn't premeditate this, but I, I know the other thing that we would want to say is that as unitive as marriage is, we need friends. And uh, you know exactly what I mean by that. We need friends, people mm -hmm. who Absolutely. will keep you from going insane or bitter or giving up. And, uh, you know, we're not just saying this, going to talk to you. You and Tanya have been two of those people for us. So true. And, but we, from the very beginning, I, and so when I talk to new students, I tell them, look, you need to make friends and you as couples need to make friends with people who are going to be your friends in ministry until you die or Jesus comes because you're going to need right. them. There are going to be moments when you're going to do something stupid and some friends not going to, not going to let you do it. Um, yeah. there, there are, there are two or three people and Mary and I, there are, there are two or three couples. We would not do anything without talking to them. Um, and sometimes that's just enough. You know, we, we're not going to quit. We're not going to, we're not going to do anything until we talk to you. Does this make sense? And, uh, then we get to raise each other's children together and yeah. find joy in being grandparents so together. Sweet. Yeah. And one day, and you know, I mean this. Uh, it'll be our great joy to be 
sleeping under the dirt. Yeah. Till Jesus comes and at then Cave the Hill, at Cave Hill Cemetery, right. yeah. and we'll spend eternity together. Yeah. Yes, yeah. But I mean, this is really special. There are very few schools that have right down the street a cemetery where the faithful wait yeah. together. Well, may the Lord keep us faithful to the very end. Amen. Uh, to His glory. Amen. Uh, and I look forward to being in the resurrection with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. Uh, would you thank, thank the you. Molers for being with us? Thank you. Tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Doctor and Mrs. Moeller, for being with us tonight on the Pastor Well podcast. If I can get this out, my voice is quickly going. And thanks to all of you who tuned in. If you've not yet subscribed, make sure you do so on YouTube or on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. God bless. Good Thank night. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for doing it. <clears throat>